Hey guys, you're listening to the Elevated DIY Podcast with Brian Barney. Uh, so on today's episode, I have my good buddy uh, Chase on the podcast here, and so we're going to talk over this epic Alaskan adventure we had uh, up north here. So um, Chase is a great guy. I met him here in Ennis, um, and we started doing a few hunts together, did a couple adventure hunts. We've also been on some big fishing adventures and that. And so we became pretty good friends and then he moved up into Alaska there. And, uh, so we've just kept in contact and we've been trying to put together this adventure hunt up there and, and finally did so, got all the logistics worked out. And so I just got back from this epic adventure we had up there. And so I, uh, we talk all about it and tell you how it went. So, um, again, this is the Elevated DIY Podcast, and we'll get right into it with Chase Galantine. An adventure, huh? Getting life back to normal again? Yeah, it seems to be getting there pretty quick. Got a lot of dad duties. Um, yeah, I've been hitting it hard, though. Uh, really wishing I was still up north, though. Oh, it was just epic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a really great time. It'd be uh, really nice to fly right back in there with some change strategies and a little different gear, and I think it would just be awesome. Yeah, you you learn so much from being in that country and actually hunting it. And when you've, you know, for me, I've never stepped foot in Alaska or hunted moose, and so you just kind of thrown in thrown in the fire right at the start, huh? Um, yeah, you know, you, you go in with expectations and mental pictures of how something's going to be and know how, know how much work you put into it and out thinking the situation. It's you, definitely first time in. doesn't seem like it was, um, was quite prepared, but all in all, it'd be sure great to get back in for sure. Yeah. Um, but boy, our research sure paid off. We picked a, a really good drainage and really good spot. Not much pressure in there and a, a lot of critters in there. And so we went in and we flew in. Um, let's see, we got we were a day late flying in, right, due to weather? Correct. Yep. And so we flew in, a little nerve-wracking sitting there when you're hopping on a, a little plane, right, flying through the mountains through the snowstorm? Yeah, about to step onto a... A plane built in the 50s, early 50s, and fly you two and a half or two hours away and land on gravel somewhere. Just, yeah, for sure. A little nerve-wracking. <laughs> I didn't think I'd be too nervous. I love to get up in those little planes and see stuff, but you can't help to at least think about it a little bit, especially with how many accidents and how many things go wrong you know, with those little planes. And, and we had a great pilot, that uh, uh, Dirk. He was super knowledgeable. And I remember your dad kept saying, oh, there's nothing to worry about. He's a gray-haired pilot. And so so we ended up, yeah, we we ended up going with um, you, who's a really good buddy of mine that um, we used to hunt here in in Ennis and did quite a few trips and some fishing trips and that. And then you moved up to Alaska, and so we've been in talks ever since to to get together and do this Alaska trip and then put it together with your dad and then we, we met you up there. Yeah, it was. Um... Like I said, a lot of work put it together over the last year and a half, and it was sure great to to put it together. We lucked out on that flight too. Um, you know, I was talking to these pilots. The guys book early up here. They're talking 2018 before you can get something booked, and um, the guy happened to have a cancellation. So that really, we really lucked out. I feel like and. For good reason. Yeah, and that's that's one of the biggest challenges uh, going up there north. It's not, 
you know, it's not getting your commercial flights and it's not getting your tags, but it's getting your your float plane or your your small plane flights. Um, like you say, those guys book up so far in advance, and so if you want to go to these good spots and these good drainages, you've got to plan it, you know, years in advance. And we were trying to put this together, you know, within the last six or eight months, even though we've been talking about it for the last year. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you a lot of work talking with biologists and, and you know, just starting with trying to pick a, a you know, a system you want to go work and, and then you pick it. Yep. This is, this is the deal. This is where I want to go. And then you try to get a pilot and yep, no, can't get you there, but I can take you to this other system where I can do this. And just, uh, yeah, it was a touch and go there in the beginning of whether or not we were going to put it together. Yeah. So, and it, it sure seems to me like in that country when you're putting a, a hunt up north together, I mean there are some, some cheaper other options where you can get flown in and then you float down to a bridge or to a takeout or there's even places where you can drive in the highway and, and put in like that Birch Creek area your dad had hunted before, put in off the highway and then pull out on the highway and so you know you lose all the expense of, of flying in somewhere and doing that but it, it seems to me that, that everybody that's a local around there, whether it's around Fairbanks or around Anchorage, any place they can get a truck or a four-wheeler or they can do a float, that's where you have more populations of people where where the hunting gets a lot tougher, and especially for moose when they can be spread out all throughout that country. We we really wanted to go to a good spot that, that was conducive to killing a big 60-inch or bigger moose, right? Yeah. You know, and talking with the biologists, um, in the way the style that I've always hunted and the style that I've been accustomed to hunting with you is um, so much of these systems, you're just in the timber. you got to be good at calling. you got to really figure that out because you you got a 40-yard or 60-yard shooting lane, no vantage points to get on. So, you know, when, when this system came together, it was sure nice to be able to at least have some vantage points to, to find our confidence and, you know, put eyes on a few of them. Otherwise, you know, you just feel like you're running around in circles not doing anything yeah boy i i you know we joke around as we're on the hunt and up there but i hate being stuck in that timber where i can't see even if i can see and i'm not seeing as many animals god i just have to be able to glass around it just gives you a better feeling for what's around there and and we tried to learn the calling as we as we went up there and i think the call sounded pretty good and i think we called in a a couple different bulls and got the attentions of some other ones but but i definitely learned a lot um like from your buddy scott we went and met with him after we got back we had a extra day or whatever and met with him and and he had some good tips on the calling but yeah we tried to make cow sounds we we didn't have a scraper and so we tried to scrape with trees and that where you know i think a shoulder bone or a, a one of the amplifiers or something like that really would have helped out with more moose scraping sounds but overall i think we did pretty good yeah I and mean, I, I i also feel that um you know one thing i learned is i was probably underestimating their uh their actual hearing, their ability to hear stuff. And again, when you're calling in that timber, trying to sneak in and sneak out and be quiet, it's almost, you know, hard to do. So a guy's got to figure out a way to call his way into those scenarios, covering up his sounds a little more than maybe I was doing for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you can't be quiet in that stuff. Jesus, everything pops and cracks and um, you sound like a moose or a couple or a herd of them going through that stuff. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I don't see how a, a 60 plus inch moose is going to make it through some of that stuff. I mean, I'm not a huge guy and I, I had to barely slide through most of it, it seemed like. <laughs> we found some thick stuff up there, didn't we? 
Yeah, and kind of a couple of cool spots. You look up, you know, 12 foot in the air, and you can see where antlers have been scraping through. So, you know, makes a guy feel good seeing that. Like, oh, yeah, they can make it through here. So they are here. I am in a good spot. And, you know, just find that patience, which is so tough when you can't just put eyes on them all the time. Yep. So so we flew in there. Dirk dropped us off. We, we had wanted to pay him a little bit more money to fly us up the system so I could have marked with my GPS camp spots, moose spots, and even maybe see some moose from the plane. And, and uh, it was a two-hour flight, and we were close on fuel. And he said, well, as long as we don't have a headwind, we'll fly the system. And, and I was watching on the GPS, and we just came into the Colleen system, or the, the system we're going to be hunting over there. And, uh, gosh, he just flies into the system there and, and, uh, gives us the, well, you think there's enough water? And we go, yeah, yeah, I think there's enough water. And boy, he just sets the plane down right there, right then, right, right. Uh, as he said that we didn't have any idea where we were at. Yeah. Um, that was, uh, you know, quick question. I, I don't think I even knew what the question was. I, um, I don't even know if I got sight of the full whole river system yet. And we were down in a hurry. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think he, I think he asked me because there's a worry as it gets cold that there won't be enough water up higher in that thing where you got to put in. And so I, I think we had talked about that before we lifted off that, you know, he may not be able to set us up in this spot we want to go. We might have to go lower on the system or a different system or whatever it was. But, um, yeah, I um, I think he was landing the plane as he asked me if there was enough water about 10 seconds before he touched the wheels down. Oh, he was on approach for sure. He was <laughs> he was setting her down. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a good day to fly, and he was trying to catch up on things in a in a long flight back. But he, he dropped us off, and so we were in the top of this system where we really wanted to be, where we really wanted to hunt. And so we got in there, and gosh, he drops you off, and you see the plane fly away, and you know you're 200 miles from the nearest road or the nearest town. It's kind of a... Uh, a strange feeling you have in there, but wild too. I mean, everything you look at, you're in this glacial cut valley that's semi-open and you look around and just everything you can see, the mountain peaks, the valleys, the it's just so pristine and, and so big and knowing that there isn't anybody around. I mean, I think I get way back in these other states, but you could walk out of any of those places in a day or two. You know, this place, I don't know that you could walk out of there. No, I think you just winter in there, buddy. I think you just figure out how to be a, a true sourdough or something up here. Um, yeah, you know, growing up in Montana, down is out. I always had, you know, felt safe in that. Like, I can go to this water, which is going to go to this water, which is, I'm going to end up on the Madison River. I know I'm going to get picked up. Well, uh, that's not that way up here. Between, you know, falling a river system down and out, who knows what that means? I just, yep, it's, uh, it puts it all in perspective for you and, and slowing down and being careful and, you know, that's it's hard for a, a guy in his 30s sometimes to slow down and be careful, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't do it very well for sure. Goforit.com. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah, but uh, so we got in there and we can't hunt the first day, but we we kind of look for a place to set our tent. It's just so foreign to us that had never been there. And that muskeg or that bumpy stuff was all over anywhere where there was grass. There was no place to set a tent. And so we first decided, you know, he landed us right kind of right in the middle of the open there off the landing strip. And it's kind of a big gravel bar. And so, you know, our first thought was to walk up and set in the timber and pack all our stuff up there and have a camp. And we walk up there 
And I mean, you couldn't find a, an area you could even sleep one person, let alone three, and no place to set up a tent up there. And so we kind of vetoed that option and then talked about camping on the edge of the river because we had to haul our boats down there. But we ended up just finally setting our camp kind of in the wide open off the landing strip to start hunting. Yeah, um, living on a gravel bar. <laughs> it uh, we we nicknamed it Everest because there was no wood around, there was no, and the the wind just screamed through there, and you know it was twenty thirty degrees of that damp cold, but it was it was like trying to live and camp on Everest. It was pretty cold there that first few days, huh? Yeah, it was uh, um, a little game of wearing everything you own, right? Oh man, yeah, everything you own. <laughs> That's the truth, right? Yeah, I did. I, I'm glad I brought the extra clothes on those days because they were all on. Yes, for sure. But but where we started hunting, we thought it was going to be good, and boy, it was. We were instantly we saw this huge grizzly bear, and your your dad had a tag, and you had a tag for grizzly bear, and boy, that thing was just a giant. And we couldn't hunt him that day, but we just watched him, and, and I think he was like on a caribou carcass. We found out later in there, but. Um, he, he was just in there and just a great big grizzly bear and then getting water that first day, we saw our first moose and he crossed those benches just south of our camp there. And I don't think he was legal, but he was still a pretty nice moose. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, like I said, good to put eyes on something and, you know, you fly all the way in there and you're, you know, we're on Everest, so to speak, we're getting water, the tents up, we're, I don't know if I can, you know, survive this scenario. And then you put eyes on your first moose that night. No, you can't hunt, um, cause you gotta be grounded for a day, but that's fine. I just, all of a sudden you got a little more confidence It's easier to go, you know, go to bed in the cold and get up in the cold and know that, you know, the potential to, you know, put a stock on something or just you're just in the box it felt good yep for sure yep and um so yeah i think we grabbed a couple pictures of that bull that crossed there right by camp and then like you say got water saw that grizz bear went and grabbed a quick vantage point away from camp kind of just got a feel for where we were at and ready to start hunting the next day yep definitely uh um you know, took in the tracks, walked around, just trying to see what's going on. The nice thing, too, is we had some fresh snow. So, you know, you're figuring the stuff you're seeing is within two days. And we were seeing enough tracks of predators and moose. And, I mean, even caribou, though, I, they had moved off already. Um, yeah, it was good to take it in and just kind of make a half game plan for the morning because, you don't, you know, you're limited on your time. And you just got to, you know, you, you know, you're fighting. Do I got to float today? Do I need to make it farther down the river or should I stay here longer? And, you know, being able to take that time and take it, you know, take everything in was good. Yep, for sure. So, yeah, then we, we uh, ended up sleeping that, that first night and then get up the next day and we can hunt. And so instantly we tried to grab that same vantage point where we had seen that giant grizzly and then also looking around for moose and seeing what's around. And so we got out that first morning, grabbed that vantage point, and look across, and that big grizz is still just right there, you know, feeding on that caribou carcass across the river or whatever. So instantly, you know, we're excited to go get after him. And so we went, and, and you came on the trip, and you did have some tags and, and ready to hunt, but you didn't bring a, a rifle or a bow, and you came a lot to, to help me film and help me capture this deal and just be along on the adventure, which was really killer. But so we so we went across instantly saw that grizzly and so we got our waders on and went for him to try to get your dad a shot at that grizz which is one one of his lifetime goals or dreams was killing a inland grizzly 
Yeah, going from a lifetime of going the opposite direction and giving the space to a big grizzly bear, big boar, to uh, hey, let's get closer. Um, was <laughs> that was a lot of fun, man. Yeah, so we captured some good video, got our waders on, crossed the river, got over there with your dad, and we were filming the whole deal, and um, we got up, and, and uh, we had a pretty good plan to get another vantage point on this bear, and I I wasn't sure if it was going to be close enough or not, and, and your dad kind of thought it was going to be close enough for a shot, but we peeked up there and got to that, you know, relocated him up there, and he was about 300 yards out, which your dad is a dang good shot. I, I think he could have laid down and smoked that bear from there, but he had it in his head. He wanted to get closer, you know, a dangerous game or with the moose, and he was shooting a, a 375, and he owns a sporting goods store, and he's been shooting his whole life. So he can shoot, but he, but he ended up passing on that 300-yard shot on that grizz to go get a little closer. Yep, I you could see the the turmoil within himself as he was doing it too. Um, you know, like I said, I've seen Dad make some incredible shots. No, he's not you know a guy that's into long range precision shooting on on animals as much as maybe some of the guys now. But um, you know, that's what what would you say wheelhouse that three hundred mark or whatever that's wheelhouse for sure. Um, so yeah, it was interesting to see him back down the hill and try to get closer. Fun, definitely yes. fun. Yep, fun. So it ended up being the wrong decision, though. I mean, not that it was the wrong decision not to shoot or to get closer, but as we, we had a perfect win, dropped back down, snuck in the underside, and, and uh, then gained elevation back up on the hill to where we'd be about 200 yards where he wanted to be for the shot, and that bear was just gone. Yeah, um, man, he didn't wind us. I, the wind was right the whole time. I mean, we, I feel like we were quiet as, I mean, quiet as you can be walking around in waders. Um, that's, uh, that's definitely kind of makes a guy a little louder and a little more uncomfortable in his stocking, but yeah, he, uh, he Houdini'd us. He was gone. Yeah, and we slowed down at the right times and took our time, got back up there, but yeah, he was just absolutely gone. And so, um, we, your dad was, you know, we talked about it and uh, we said, you know, your best move is to sit here and wait on this bear and see if this thing comes back out. I was just sure he was going to just went in the timber to go take a nap and he was going to be back on that carcass. I really didn't think he'd leave the area, which, you know, almost makes you think like we bumped him or something. But like you say, we had a, a perfect wind coming down that draw. We slowed up enough. Um, even though we were in waders, you know, we took our time moving through that willow brush and moving through the snow. I just don't know how that thing could have picked us up and, and maybe he just moved off, but we never did end up seeing that bear. Your dad waited the rest of the day and even spent part of the next day looking for him. And, and we ended up waiting around for a little bit. And then, um, let's see what, oh, we went back around to go grab the packs. We had ditched the packs. And so we went back around, left your dad there in a shooting position, went back to get the packs, and right as we're putting on the packs there, you look up on the hill and go, there's a bull moose, and he was just a giant one and across the river up above our camp, up on that ridge line up there. Yeah, um, a little game of wrong side of the river again for us, but uh, yeah, that was a pretty action-packed morning. It wasn't, I don't know, 15 minutes after leaving Dad over there. The lights had only been on for a couple hours, and see that guy rolling country, um, you know, 18-foot strides is what it looked like to me, but yeah, big moose, getting get the guy excited. <laughs> yeah, for sure, 18-foot strides, I like that. Yeah, those things can cover country, and so we watched him, but we only got to watch him for 
God, maybe 30 seconds, maybe a minute as he moved up and off and way above camp into a different drainage up there up top. But he had big old palms on him. And, and uh, you know, I I couldn't I couldn't tell if he was legal for sure. But, I you know, thinking back on it, I, he was definitely a legal bull. And like I told you, he's definitely a shooter. It's just whether or not he's legal. And it's so tough to judge that 50 inches wide. And especially when he never looks at you, he just walks away. But his palms were big enough and he had big fronts on him where I think he had four brow tines or, or was over 50 inches wide. He was, he was a great big mature Alaskan bull. I know that. Yep, absolutely. Yep. And so we saw him and, you know, instantly you want to go run for him, cross the river and go run after him. But him working away from us, you know, we, we kind of talked it over and we thought it'd be better to grab a good vantage point on that side of the river, get up higher and then glass across where he was and try to pick him up there bedded or maybe changing beds and, and have an exact position on him. And so we went back, checked in with your dad there, said, OK, well, we're going to climb to the hill. We saw good moose. And so we left him sitting on the bear and it, it was cold sitting in those waders. And then we proceeded to just climb straight up that mountain huh, to the very top of that thing. Yeah, that uh, um, the goat mountain, man, that thing was steep. Yeah, it didn't look too bad starting off, and then it just kept getting steeper and steeper. Uh, felt like we were sheep hunting there for a little bit. Yeah, going up rock slides. Yeah, and, um, you know, it, it wasn't too awful, but then I tried to make it up in my waders. And so climbing up that thing in my waders and wading boots uh, added a little bit of degree of difficulty and a little sweat going up. But we finally made it to a good vantage point up there, and the wind was screaming up there. But we sat on that, sat on that vantage point for like two, three hours and never did pick up that moose, never did pick up the bear. We had a great vantage point over the whole valley we were hunting and, and we never saw anything get up and move around from up there. Um, so, so we decided we couldn't sit up there all day. There's no firewood. There, there's no protection from the elements up there. And so it was just screaming. We finally had to come down. And so we decided we were going to go up where we had seen that big bull and then, uh, try to do a calling set and just see if we could locate them up there oh, a mile or two above camp up there. Um, and, and then left your dad. Well, I think your dad sat out there for as long as he could possibly sit. And then finally he had to go get warmed up and, and uh, get in the tent. And he figured he'd take a vantage point where he could look for that bear, you know, from afar instead of sitting right on him. Yeah, he he headed back over there, and you know the thing that got me is when we got back over to the other side um, of the valley where you know where we just glassed over all of it. But you, you know what I thought it was even glassing the vastness of this country, and you get over there, and it's nothing like that. You man, I could walk over there in ten minutes. It looks like well, no way. You're hopscotching, you know, some hybrid method of hopscotching that muskag to running alongside it to picking blueberries on the way. I don't know. It just took forever. It felt like, and, um, it was such a daunting area when you got over there. Yeah. And then the ponds and the water, you had to move around and find your way through and any brush you got to move through as thick as all get out. And then, like you say, the, the open meadows where in Montana, an open meadow, you'd cruise, but in that muskeg, yeah, it's trying to roll your ankle on every step. And it, it is, it's so much bigger when you get over there than it was when you know looking across at it but 
But we got over there, and, and man, we really played it right, calling to where that bull had gone and had some good setups with good wind. We found those upper ponds in there. We had seen them go by and, and called for most of the night till dark up there till we returned back to our tent, but, but never did pick them out. And I, I don't think we saw any other animals that night. I, I think we blanked on any other sightings. And so then we woke up day two. Let's see, what did we... Well, day two, we kind of made the same hunt lower on that bench and kind of moved upriver a little bit more, kind of glassing and calling as we went. And then we looked across that that drainage across the river, but but farther up north from where we were the day before, and we spotted a great big bull over there. And, I mean, all I could see was horns on that thing. That was a giant bull. Yeah, it looked like a, a sheet of plywood moving across the country a couple miles away. It was, oh. uh, Yep, Get you excited. Was. Yeah, right? Uh, yeah, that's what we're looking for, right? So, yeah, that was perfect. Saw that bull, and he was actually, like, if we were on the migrational path where we had seen other bull, the other bull move through, how we had seen the tracks, how we knew they moved through country because they're actually migrating from Canada into this drainage and then down these drainages to rut. And so we knew we were in front of where this bull was headed. And so we got to watch him, get the scope on him, knew he was a shooter, knew he was legal. And, and then it was just a matter of setting up and waiting because he was headed right at us. Yeah, and, you know, he, he was moving so fast, we knew that, you know, if we were going to see him on our side of the valley over there within an hour, it felt like. And, um, yeah, it turned into a game of, of waiting by a fire and, you know, staying behind the glass as much as you can. And I guess I guess what happened is right when he went into a spot where we couldn't see him, we expected to see him roll out, we just got socked in with a snowstorm. And, I mean, it was uh, one of those ones where you can't see three foot in front of your face at all. So there was no no keeping eyes on him for a little bit there. So um, we crawled down and built a fire and just went for staying warm. Yeah, I had to at that point. But, yeah, we sat and waited for that thing so we were maybe only snowed out or uh snowed where we couldn't see for like maybe a, maybe an hour at most like it wasn't that long of a snowstorm and, and if he did show up on our side he had to cross a big opening which we had seen moose do and seen the tracks do but as a snowstorm clear we kept glassing for him and we never did pick him out we sat there for dang near the entire day looking for him until it got to late afternoon and never did pick him out and so we decided to go over and, and cross the valley again, cross the river, and then get over there and and uh, see if we couldn't locate them, you know, through a call or be able to glass them up, huh? Yeah, we uh, ended up um, – you and I had our waders with us with no actual wader boots, um, just the actual waders with the stocking foot. And uh, Dad had met us up with us by then. He'd put eyes on another little grizzly bear that day, um, a non-shooter for him. Um, and then we, we ended up shuttling waders back and forth to get across this braided top end of this river, which is actually looking at it, five, five or four or five braids coming together in through there. Um you know, to get over to that side and just hope that we're in the in the box when that that moose got active, which at this point we we have, we figured he was just bedded down for the day, and um, so we pushed into a you know another stretch of the canyon up there, which again was way more vast than I thought that it looked like from the other side. I mean, it just opened up into a whole other valley. Um, it was pretty impressive. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and as we were 
sitting there before we crossed the river, your dad had passed on a smaller grizz that morning back where he saw the big one. And then we glassed up a grizzly bear across where we wanted that moose to come out. There was another grizzly bear across there. And we looked at him and, and he was just a more of a lengthy bear and, and wasn't a shooter, kind of a younger bear, but a, another grizz bear anyways that your dad passed on. So he actually passed on two bears that day and then like yep. you say yeah we went and crossed the braids and we shuttled waders and i had my bow and, and your dad was really good at getting me you know giving me opportunities and things and then oh sorry about that yeah i can just hear your mic there um rubbing against things but yeah so um we decided to take everybody across and then you know he he was going to give me a shot with my bow and then he had his rifle for backup you know uh, in, in case the moose got out from us or got away from us or something like that and so we went across and yeah we had to shuttle waders just in our stocking foot and it wasn't a real sketchy cross but you know when it's 25 degrees and you know that that river's glacial fed and even crossing the few braids that we did you just you can't make a mistake if you get wet you know you'd be in trouble but but we got across shuttled the waders across all those braids and then got over there and that wind was just wrong for what we were trying to do it was trying to blow up the canyon and so we kind of went up and we set ourselves up with a decent wind but we couldn't really go any further but we could see all that country where that moose had disappeared and so we glassed up there for a long time made a couple calling sets and and never saw that bigger bull but we did have that that younger bull that wasn't legal he popped out what a a couple hundred yards from us or something like that came out of the willows yeah, which means we walked right by him. Yeah, which just, I don't know how we did that, but they're just they're like we uh, named them up there. They're a twelve foot ghost. If they want to hide from you, they hide from you. It's just amazing. We were in fairly open country. Maybe that one patch of willows that you said you thought he came out of or whatever. But I can't believe he just laid down in there. And that's what your buddy Scott was telling us is that they they act a lot like a whitetail. Like you can't push these moose out of an area they'll just kind of move around you like a giant mature whitetail will and, and just like that smaller bull did he let us come right by him making noise or anything and he never spooked out and then an hour later he just came feeding out in that meadow out there so um yeah those things are pretty wild how they can hide and i've i've got a ton more respect i mean to be honest with you I I didn't I never thought of them as a super smart game animal. I always thought they kind of roamed around and the toughest thing was finding them. But I got a ton of respect after hunting these things. They seemed there was no pressure where we were hunting, but but they knew that humans were predators and they were spooky. If they saw you move or anything wasn't wrong with the situation, they were out of there. And like I've seen on TV a million times where those things come running in and somebody's got a, a dang boat paddle and you know you can you can rub that in the air and they just come running in and make a few cow sounds and they come running in but that just wasn't the case they were a super smart animal that was really wary could travel just a ton of country but would also hold tight so we finished up that day at least seeing that bull moose but but never seeing that that big bull he had disappeared on us and so we slept that night and and now we're starting to think that we need to get our boats blown up and need to head down country and so the next day we woke up and i i think i got out real early and made a hike up country and you know there's there was new tracks every day filtering through this country 
and, and then I, you know, I didn't see anything. I made calling sets, saw a few tracks, looked up in the drainage where we had seen that bull, looked up on the top above camp where we had seen the other big bull, and and I didn't see anything that morning. And and uh, so I came back to see you guys, and we ended up having breakfast there right around camp. Um, and, and then we were sitting around and having camp. I think I just made a cup of coffee like 11 o'clock, and you looked up on the hill and you said, "There's a bull," and he was right out from camp. And we weren't sure if that bull was legal or not. He he was right on the edge. So he was right on the edge of 50 inches wide, and he had pretty good brows, and we never did see if he had four or not, but he was on the edge of a shooter. Um, so we instantly gave chase uh, to try to catch up to him, and, and he was just walking away from us. There was no catching up to that bull. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, – that uh, running down a moose is uh... – I I don't know if that's a real thing, buddy. <laughs> right, like you said. I mean, the, I, we can run down an elk, but I don't know if we can coyote a, a pack of a you know or a coyote a moose down. I don't think that works. They uh, just walk away from you. Man, isn't that the truth? Yeah, the the faster we ran and the faster we tried to catch up to that bull, the more distance he put in between us and him. And he's not like he was spooked. He was just moving on. He was doing his thing. Like he was, he was just moving, yes, <laughs> rolling country. Exactly. And so we kind of gave chase to that bull and kept an eye on him. But yeah, he walked away from us. And so then we're walking back up towards towards camp up there. And then we look up and there's there's a great big moose and he's coming on the same moving pattern and the same trail that that other smaller bull had come. And we had seen another bull do that the first day we were in there. And he was headed right at us, and we had these benches to play on, and he had to come across this open country. But that was a, a giant, big shooter moose, and, and that thing was headed right at us. And he just flat disappeared into the to a little patch of timber, and he should have crossed it and been right on us, and he never showed up. No, 12-foot ghost. Yes, just disappeared, and I, I can't believe it. That was... One of our better opportunities of the whole trip is that giant moose, but he just never showed up. And your dad circled around on one of his, his, his exits where if he kept working down the drainage, you know, he'd pop out and on the river system and, and your dad would have got a shot. We kind of stayed and played those benches where we thought he'd head right at us. And yeah, he never showed up. And eventually after two hours or so, we kind of moved in on him and gave some calls and made a scrape. And, and we just never saw him. Like you say, 12-foot ghost, he was gone. Yeah, but in hindsight, after talking with you know with my friend Scott, I think he was just being a big mature whitetail, and he was just watching us, and he didn't care. He just no reason to get up and be seen. I think that uh, that scenario could have played a little differently if we, you know, knowing what we know now, stay out and stay out of his area a little bit, and stay back and say, okay, we need to not push camp today. We need to stay one more day up here, and you know, as the light started to, to dim down, I bet you we might have put eyes on him again. Um, hindsight though yeah man i think you're right i think we would have played that a little bit different we were and we were in the mindset our pilot couldn't pick us back up at that top area we had to float down the 100 miles we had to float down and now we're in day four it's our third day of hunting but with our flying day we're in day four we've got to get picked up in five days 100 miles down this system and we don't know what we're going to get into and we got these other challenges where if it gets cold like the forecast told us the river starts to dry up and, and we can't get out of there or we can't float down out of there. And so, you know, we sat around and we kind of talked over your, our options. And I mean, yeah, I kind of lean, lean towards staying in there because I knew it was a good spot. And I, I think, but 
all of us kind of knew that we had to get going and we had to get floating down. And so, yeah, I'm with you. I think if we would have played it again or in hindsight, we should have stayed and stayed on that bowl. We had them at, you know, 500 yards up above camp, going to be moving through those openings. Yeah, we should have stayed on them and tried to give them a shot. But we decided to get our boats all in order and start heading down the river and start clicking off a few miles and see what was below us. And, and we we kind of all agreed upon it. We had to get started. And so we blew up our boats, which uh, you had those boats dialed. We used those um, rafts from Pristine, um, what is it, Pristine Mountain Adventures? Yeah, it's uh, Pristine Ventures, a local guy based here in um, the interior, and um, I did some research and went and talked with him a bunch, and yeah, it's a couple of really cool inflatable lightweight deals, but yet enough room to put a, a moose, a couple of guys, and a caribou if you're lucky enough to run one of those things down. So, uh, yeah, they worked out trick for sure. Yeah, so it's a 16-foot blow-up raft, and it rows like a standard raft, but it doesn't have a metal frame in it, and so each raft with the oars and with all the, you know, and it's got baskets that keep your gear off the water, they've got, um, uh, what do they call that when a raft drains itself, what do they, what's that? It's a, it's a self-baler setup. Yeah, um, self-baler. <laughs> So if you got a guy, you can still take him into some bigger water, um, and that would help too. But yeah, basically, it's like an almost like an inflatable, uh, like a freighter canoe. But you know, you guy says canoe, and you think you're just going to tip all over the place. But the way it's designed is really, you know, long and narrow, set up really good for smaller streams up here. You know, some of that channel where we were on, if a guy had a traditional, you know. Uh, traditional big raft like we run you know for fly fishing back home or whatever you'd you'd be in the sweepers the whole time and you know not only that the weight restrictions on some of these flights in where you're only allowed x amount of weight and it's expensive enough to get in there that guy's got to figure out something and I, I think this guy up here uh with pristine ventures i think he's got it dialed a little bit um he's put a lot of research into it for sure yeah it was um really good material on the raft they blew up set up pretty easy and so we had two rafts and like you say they're about the only rafts built that can take that weight of a moose plus two guys and get you out of country that's set up that way that like you say they're not 200 pounds of raft or something like that so we set those things up and they took a little working through you had to kind of work through the corks we moved the seats around the baskets the rowing system we then put my pack down I would sit on that gave me a little bit more elevation but the system was sweet and like you say in those Alaskan rivers you got to be a good oarsman it was a small tight river and we didn't have a ton of white water but as the water got bigger it brings you into those sweeping trees and then branches and stuff poking out on you everywhere on the bank that you're sliding into where you could pop one of those things pretty easy if you weren't a good oarsman yeah, um, it's, you know, like you said, it's not hugely technical, but reading the water is a must. I mean, I, I think if you send a couple of guys up there that have never, you know, rowed a raft before, they could be in trouble a little bit, you know, not setting themselves up on the soft insides or, you know, just reading the, the you know, river right, river left, which way do we go? Well, hey, let's crapshoot it and go down the left. Well, you can end up in this, you know, out of water in one of those deals pretty easy, too. So, um, right. yeah, we, we heard yeah. A story. it was a rodeo. Yeah, and we heard a story from your uncle, Randy, and he had hunted in this drainage and kind of turned us on to this thing and and we heard a story of him about they got in there and they shot a, a moose or something and then floated downstream and or two of his buddies floated downstream and he stayed up top or something like that but they got down and got into a, a, a channel of that river that wasn't the main flow of water where they got stuck with the moose in their raft and it took them days to drag it out of there where they
they didn't think they were going to be able to get out of there. And so, yeah, no, you're right. You really got to be able to read water and read where the most water is. And we've all been around water our whole lives. In fact, I think you love fishing more than you like hunting sometimes. But um, so we've all been in rafts and we're all good oarsmen. And so it worked out fine. I was really impressed at how your dad did. Um, you know, even though I knew he'd been around rafts and knew he'd been boated, uh, boating around, but he really controlled that raft good. And then so we took the lead and we chose all our lines through the streams and able to give him the lines through them. But um, it's just awesome paddling down that remote river. And as we got down the first 15 or 20 miles, we ended up camping and spending another three days up there top. And that was really good moose hunting as well. Yeah, that that top end, um, you know, the next, like you said, the next half of uh, the air miles down through there, um, definitely, you know, a, a combination of vantage points and timber, which we, you know, we found that these moose are starting to move this timber a little more than maybe I was even thinking, even though the biologist said that's what they were going to do and pretty much nailed it, um, their movements. Um, but yeah, that, that that next three days we were still feeling real moosey, you know, feeling good about stuff, um, still a lot, enough area to look and see predators not stuck in the timber the whole time um yeah we did spend a couple of days in there to the point where i think we were ready to put by the end of it we started getting out of the the more pristine moose country where we were trying to cover some river miles with wind in our face the whole time yeah that's exactly right and so up at that top end we did me and you glassed across that one day and picked out that that grizz bear and he had um you know he's a really plump good bear feeding in that drainage over there and so when we moved out uh i think i I can't remember which camp we moved out of, but we told your dad about it, and, and he was all for going for that bear. And so we stopped on the river, able to navigate down, cross the river with our rafts, and then uh, uh, we went up. Me and your dad went after that, that grizz bear up top up there um as you kind of watch from below and so we went up there and and uh yeah we got on that grizz bear up there man what a cool deal for your dad it was a it was a shooter and it was a boar and so we got up there and and um glassed him and he was in the wide open working up and so we kind of had to once we relocate him we kind of had to move as a team um and so we we'd move and then uh uh, anytime that bear picked up his head, we'd stop and freeze. And so we had like this epic stalk through the open where we're five, six hundred yards from him. And we'd, you know, every time he had his head down, we'd move. And then every time he'd pick his head up, you know, we'd stop. And then uh, so we just kept creeping in on him. And then eventually the hillside started to hide us from that bear. And, and uh, we got up there and then your dad made a good shot. I think he shot him at a uh, 150 yards or something like that and dumped him and so what a cool deal your dad was super psyched to get that bear and and uh yeah we were able to take care of him get some good photos and video in that and then uh uh bring him back down and so that was really cool for your dad to get that bear up and through there yeah, you know, dad's been to Alaska a couple of times, um, you know, and there's obviously a couple of deals with hunting in Alaska that, you know, next to Ken or, um, you know, being a resident has its perks. So a you know, lifelong dream of dad to kill a 12 foot ghost and a big old grizzly bear. So I'm really happy that we were able to, uh, you know, put some effort and some time into that for him and, and actually get it done. Um, you know, again, used, used to running away from grizzlies or, you know, giving them their space. This time we're trying to close the deal on them. Kind of a interesting feeling for 
for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that was one of the highlights of my trip. Just being able to stalk and hunt a grizzly, and you know, know your know your dad's gonna shoot one. You know, so it was so exciting for me. I've always wanted to do that. So yeah, that was awesome. Got that bear, and actually, that would have been our last chance that we never saw another bear the rest of the trip because it started to timber out and timber flat out to where we couldn't glass as much, and it felt like we were getting out of the mountains and kind of getting down to the lower flatlands, and there were still a lot of moose around there but but they were tougher to see and tougher to catch up to and tougher to glass um so we got down and we did end up calling in a really good ball he just came in a little late huh yeah i think the i think it, we were in uh northern light mode we were talking about how cool it is to see the northern lights it's, you know the clouds pushed out we were gathering up firewood and getting ready to make some awesome freeze-dried meals or whatever was on the menu and uh um yeah, you came running over saying, hey, hey, there's something crossing the river, and you could just hear him grunting his way across the river. I mean, 50 yards right to the middle of camp, just really cool. That's uh, Actually, one of the highlights for me was that deal there because I got to see him in action. I got to hear that grunt that we've been talking about, and, you know, I think that was the first moose that we saw that wasn't rolling country that was actually um, – doing the deal you know it was feeling ruddy was you know walking around you know speaking the language or whatever um it was pretty cool yeah so exactly so all the moose we had seen prior were like they were migrating through country where then you know this one he was grunting looking for a cow and we had made calls where he came from that night towards our evening hunt there was a bunch of moose sign in there and i i think your dad had three moved by him or something like that we didn't see any but a bunch of tracks and a bunch of fresh tracks and so late at night we called across the river into this other timber flat and that's exactly where he came out of and like talking to your buddy scott and and hearing or knowing what we know now these these moose don't come running in when you call they take their time and just kind of move in and so he ended up coming in an hour or two after we called but i'm sure we called that bull in he was just full of grunts looking for that cow which we had cow called that night and yeah you're right just came across the ridge just constantly across <laughs> that ridge it was so cool and he did he had a he was a giant moose we couldn't tell exactly how big but yeah a giant one that rolled you know across there grunting and then cross that river in front of us and man i mean would have been epic just to have him so we we opted not to call because we didn't want him to find our camp or see us, and we thought we'd catch up to him in the morning, and then the morning he was just gone. Yeah, gone Johnson. You know, cut his tracks and saw where he went. And, um, yeah, I, they can just roll country, man. They just can keep going. You know, who knows? He might have caught up to the, you know, the, the, the two cows and the calf or whatever dad had seen earlier um, that night and just kind of took them up off the river farther than we were willing to push with the thought of, hey, we kill one up here four miles from camp. That's four days worth of work, it feels like, in this stuff, which is gnarly country. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, you you always want to go for it and you always want to push hard and, and kill a bull. But up there, yeah, you've got to think about it, especially when you've got to pack all the bones out and you get a 1,600-pound animal down. You, you've got to put limits on yourself. So we tried to focus within a couple miles of the river. And really, it seemed like that's where a lot of the, the movement of these moose were and the tracks of these moose. They're, they're just like you say, they're just ghostly around there. And so that was a good opportunity, kept floating down. And then, you know, we did end up seeing a smaller bull downstream that that you know we maybe could have made a play on that was like a 
but he wasn't legal. He only had a couple brow tines and 45 inch, and so we opted to not go for him. Um, and, and then the other opportunity we had is we went down, we'd stop and we'd call in these flats and kind of move in and hunt them and just do like a, a half an hour in a section. And so me and you, we called right out of the boat and then we kind of moved into the brush and instantly we heard that same sound, another bull moose, and he was coming, you know, within 150 yards, just whoa. And so we got set up like I that was the, the time I actually got an arrow knocked up and thought I was going to get a shot on that bull. So, yeah, that yeah, it happened quick, too. You know, it um, we weren't quite. Yeah, I don't know. It was really interesting. I don't know um, the calling setup and everything. And, and um, yeah, that was a, that was a really cool deal to hear him again. Another bull actually grunting, actually doing the deal, probably coming to our cow call. Yeah, it had to be right, and he was coming to yep. our cow call, and we talked about it later. And you know, I, I, I didn't try to cow call too much as I knew I wanted to call attentively, but we did do a little scrape there, and then I made a bull grunt just because we heard him coming right away, and then and then nothing. It went silent, so we thought, well, we got to do something here. We had a good win. And so we tried to scrape and make some bull calls, and, and maybe that's what spooked that bull off, or who knows what went on, but we never did end up seeing him or catching up to him, even though we gave chase. He he just um, worked away from us, or something happened in there. I'm not sure what. He was just like a big, mature whitetail. I think he just laid down and was just going to wait us out. They're just not in a hurry for anything, man. They're, you know, metabolism of a bison. They're living in the Arctic. They're just, I'm not in a hurry for anything. That's That's what I took from it, for sure. Yes, for sure. And so then we ended up just having to push a couple of days out, make sure we were at our takeout and doing 15 or, well, 15 air miles, but probably doing I 30 or 40 <laughs> river miles per day. Oh, my God. That And yeah. like you say, the wind was blowing up at us the whole time. We were having to, to forward or down, and then we were having to – I'd actually – we'd have to turn the boat around backwards and then, and then row just to make any headway downstream. So we had to work pretty hard to make our takeout there, and, and we'd stop and call and tried to hunt down on those bottom flats, which there was still moose. It just wasn't as good as the top end yeah um again i I think that you know it's just going to take a good call good calling sets um maybe understand more understanding from me about their patterns and their movements and how long it takes them to come in and you know if we were going to hunt that country again i think you'd want to have more time to spend in it because they do move so slow but uh, that top end is just so much um indicative to the type of hunting that i have always done and i sure like to put eyes on stuff so uh yeah tough to go in and learn something new brian yeah right um yeah totally new to us but i think with the information we gained and we sure could have killed one on this trip but i mean i've got to go back for sure i've got to kill one of those moose and in using the knowledge that we have now i think we could go make that same hunt play it just a little bit different and, and also i think i improved on my calling and after talking to your buddy scott you know i think more of an err into my cow call just when you're calling it's kind of this you know more of an r sound than a than an ah sound and then the bulls mm-hmm. when they grunt make more of a oh oh 
Oh, and so like just getting our calling sounds down right again, and like you say, knowing how the moose move through there, and and just collecting knowledge for ten days on how to hunt moose, and and like I put it into uh, terms like I I didn't kill a first giant muley when I started muley hunting, and I didn't kill a a giant bull on the first uh, elk hunting trip I ever took, and it it's like paying your dues, and we didn't pay a guide to use his knowledge. We went in there self guided, did our own research, or uh, figured out our own drainage to go and then just immersed ourselves in hunting moose and i think with all the information we gained i know we can kill one in there right we just got to go back and do it again yep that's it you go you know i'm going to perfect a couple of things in my gear and what i'm doing um to make my life better you know um living up there on everest or whatever's going on but um yeah you know uh, i think that uh i think your wife said it best which bless her heart um you know uh, really expensive scouting trip, huh, honey? Yep, pretty much. Um, <laughs> you got a good one, buddy. Yeah, I sure do. Yeah, she's so supportive, and she just knows that that uh, knows my drive and my passion, and supports it. And so, yeah, no, I, I, I got a good deal going, as we all do, to let us go chase our dreams and, and chase these around. But yeah, that's what, exactly what she told me. She goes, "Well, that was a an expensive scouting trip," because she just knows it gets in my blood, and now you know it's all. I'll be able to think about until I can get narrow in one of those things. So yeah, we just we just need to regroup and and go back and use our knowledge. And I I know we can kill one out of that drainage or a different drainage. And I, well, I was going to tell you on the flight back we ran into a couple guys and they did it uh, a little bit different. Where um, you know than than us we did this float trip and able to move. Well, we met these two guys. Your dad sat next to him, and so we talked to him quite a bit. And there was four guys. They killed two moose with their recurve bows. They killed a sixty-two and a 64 you should have seen these moose they were just giants man it was so it was awesome to hear their experience and how they did it and their pilot ran it a little bit different he'd go in and he flew a super cub only and then he'd build these really short runways that nobody else could land on and then he'd land and make these camps but it was kind of like hit or miss where they either got into them or they didn't so they had four guys split between two different camps and then the two young kids they were into bulls they ended up killing the two bulls well the two older guys they never saw a moose or never saw a bull in their area so they didn't end up killing them so it was real hit or miss and they didn't have you know they couldn't keep moving downstream if they if they weren't into bulls and this was their second year doing it and they didn't kill any last year but it was really cool to hear you know different strategies and different thoughts on pilots and airstrips and how they did it so it was really interesting to meet those guys and talk to them on the way back yeah, and I ran into, uh, you know, uh, not second-guessing the efforts I put in and, and everything. Um, you know, I really wanted to get in there and get something on film with you or, you know, just get a, a big harvest on one of those moose or, you know, whatever it is. But our pilot stopped in with his wife um, and just the nicest people in the world. Anyways, they stopped into my shop here in Fairbanks yesterday, and uh, I sat down talking with him, and he asked if we had ever been. He's like, so you guys have done this quite a bit. And I, I told him, no, this is actually, a, you know, the three of our first trip doing a fly-in hunt float out deal like this you know dad's been up here a couple of times and has a little experience he goes really he's like man i could have swore the way you guys handled everything that uh and how it went that you guys did you know experts at this which made me feel pretty good on you know um what we had done and when, when talking with him and tell him how things went and um he, he made sure that i i knew that um next year he's he's got room for us no matter what it is we'll make it work so that made me feel really good too because back to hey Trying to find a pilot can be tough, and, you know, there's 
maybe uh, uh, gray-haired pilot's a really good thing, right? Yeah, for sure. No, he was a great pilot, super knowledgeable, and just a great guy to talk to, too. Um, so, yeah, I you know, I haven't got a for sure yay or a nay as I'm still trying to get back and reboot and leave it on an elk hunt on Monday. But, yeah, I, I went over to help. I'm going to be doing a building for your dad down here in Montana. And so we went out yesterday, and you, your dad, he, he doesn't even want to get the yay or nay from either of you. He just says he's going. He says he's going to book the flight next year, and he, he's not counting on us yes or no, but he's booking it. So he's hooked as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got a lot. That's funny. Yeah, so basically he won't take no for an answer. He's going to book it. But, yeah, I think we're all in the same boat where we're so hooked on hunting them and really want to get one done that, yeah, I think we should try to put it together again and save our pennies and, and geez, go try to get one of those things down on film. I think we I think we have to. We, we owe it to ourselves now with the knowledge we've gained. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I'm 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 as excited as the next guy. And again, I you know if you were to say, hey, you pick the dream trip you, of, uh, that you want, I mean, it probably wouldn't be a, a hunting trip. I know that sounds bad, but it would sure be an epic fishing adventure. So I'm I'm excited to go on one of these hunts again with you guys. That's for sure. I uh, had a blast, man. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So you love these adventure fishing trips, which we need to put one of those together too for some of those salmon runs up there. Or, you know, get down here and we'll chase steelhead on the OP. So we'll be able to figure out a different trip. But yeah, no, it was it was such an epic trip. And like I say, just the vastness and beauty and um, uh, uh, those glacial cut valleys up high, and just being able to see that and be in those big valleys and just know, you know, there's not a road, not a person, not a trail, not, not anything anywhere. It was such a cool feeling for me that I that I that I've got in the wilderness before, but never to that level. And so, yeah, I was just amazed. We took and I went through all our photos. I got to get you all our photos. Yeah, just a million good photos and and time lapse and video we put together out there. So, I mean, I wish we would have got a kill on a to where we could release it as a film but i think it'll just have to go in the in the footage bank for next time but yeah we got to get one of those things killed yep that's us buddy yep for sure so yeah i'm just getting ready i'm gonna take off monday and uh head out elk hunting so a little tough to show up back home and say yep i'm leaving in a few days but um had this plan and uh, being a bow only guy you know this is my this is my one chance to kill an elk so i haven't been elk hunting at all so yeah i'm gonna leave monday and i've got quite a few days i'm gonna make my way out to to elk country i'm not i'm hunting them kind of in uh, some breaky country more in the central part of the state on a special tag i drew which is just full of elk and and you were gonna hunt this tag with me when you lived back here and and you ended up not drawn this tag but i i've got the tag this year so i'm super jacked to get out there and so the one challenge you don't want out there is you don't want rain because the mud is just gumbo and you can't drive anywhere you can't even walk anywhere every step you pick up five pounds of mud well that's exactly what the forecast is for monday and tuesday is about three inches (laughs) of rain (laughs) so uh but anyways i'm gonna go battle it and and uh there's some you know some gravel and some paved roads that i can start my hunt off and then and then start to get deeper in there you know as it dries out or whatever but yeah super psyched to like you say get back on the saddle or get back on the horse here and get hunting and boy i really want to get narrow in a in a bowl here as as we just spent you know 15 days or whatever with travel and all that hunting with no loose arrows so uh yeah i'm a little thirsty to to get knocked up into full draw that's for sure 
Yeah. Well, if you know, if we can't put a elk, or excuse me, a moose hunt together here um, next year, I I would sure like to come home and at least hunt with you in some fashion. That's if that's chasing elk, that's fine. They got. I think they're still running that Montana kids come home or whatever it is to the state where it, you know tags a little more affordable for me. You know, two kids and my wife would be looking down her nose if I was like, yeah. And also, I want to buy a nine hundred dollar elk tag. Um, I don't know if uh, she can would view it as good as some. So. Yeah, oh man, it's tough on a family budget for sure, I know it. But yeah, no, I think we should, especially with that kids come home deal that they have going. Either that or we had a lot of fun chasing um, late season muleys during that that rifle hunt and and you came and filmed for me where we spent two or three weekends and you ended up killing a buck. Um, But yeah, uh, uh, video in that, I think it's been two years now, but that is a really fun hunt. That would be fun to go on again and I, man, I've got some good new spots down there where I'm really turning up good numbers and good quality of bucks and so that would be fun to put something like that together too. Yeah, anytime we can get together and, you know, um, work over a lot of country and get, you know, more than a, you know, handful of opportunities or, you know, put, you know, glass over a number of animals to really hone in my glassing skills and everything else. I, yeah, that was one of my in the last couple of years of hunting. That's one of the more enjoyable ones for me as well, for sure. Um, that would be awesome. And that's, you know, that's a big, great time of year. Seems to be, you know, right kind of going in between the holidays or right before the holidays. Easier for me to probably sneak away. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll just keep in talks about, um, you know, whether we're going to do this hunt next year or the year after. It sounds like it sounds like next year after your dad's going to book the flights. But, uh, you know, I've got to have some talks here around my house and, and you do too. <laughs> and just, you know, make sure. And it is, you know, those float, you know, flying in on those smaller planes uh, isn't cheap. And so I've got to kind of budget for it as well. But, yeah, I, I probably got to put in some overtime, make sure I can do it next year. But I got to come back and chase those things again. It was just such an epic trip. So thanks again, Chase, for all your research up there and and, uh, all your buddies talking to all them and gathering information and helping putting this whole thing together like I said I just had a blast it was like a a life changing trip for me so thanks again man for helping put it together and and all your work videoing and and, uh, like I said I couldn't couldn't pick a better partner to go on one of these adventure hunts with so thanks, thanks again man yeah you bet brother say hi to the family for me Yep, sounds good. Uh, you do the same and take care of yourself. We'll keep in touch. I'll I'll let you know how I do on this elk hunt when I get back. And and yeah, thanks for uh, getting on here and, and talking on this podcast. And the, um, I I think we did a good job of at least telling how the hunt went and how we did up there. And and again, just an epic adventure. So we'll we'll talk to you soon, man. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Brian. Okay, bye. Bye.